Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Ride the Movie Guy, and sitting behind the glass inside the fish tank is producer Pat. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, Happy New Year, and it's good to be here as always. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Pat. Happy New Year, Matt. Happy New Year, Jawheads. Happy New Year, Jawheads. This is our first recording of 2020. That's right. You did hear an episode last week with the... uh, Amazing Pamela Powell, but that was recorded last year, so this is us, first time of the year. Very exciting. It's nice to be back, Ryan. Yeah, it sure is. How long were we off? Mm, two full weeks. That's a lot for us. But we did see each other at an uh, awards party. We did. We so, got to hang out a little bit. That was did. nice. That was nice. Um, but we're not just wiping 2019 away just yet, Matt Kay. No, why would we? No. This week on Cinema Jaw, we are going to cover the top five performances of 2019. We're doing it a little bit different this year as we're combining the performances, both female and male, clumping it all together, your top five. Yes, gender parity. I I think that that is a beautiful thing. And I I think it's going to be interesting because there were so many strong female performances. I wonder if males are even going to get mentioned on this show. I I hope it's a a nice mix because there were great performances uh, from, from everyone this year. To help us with such a list, we have to have a great guest, a film critic. Yeah, David J. Fowley from KeepingItReal.com, film critic extraordinaire, back on the show after, it's been a while, so we'll find out how long. Very long time. I know he's been doing KeepingItReal.com for over 10 years. Yeah, same as us. So He's a member of the Chicago Critics Association, Yes, and so it's going to be great to talk to uh, David. Been a long time. Indeed. Besides that, we have even more going on. Do we not, Pat? That's right, Ryan. This week, in honor of Bad Boys Forever, we are playing Bad Movie Trivia. Bad movie trivia? Ooh. And as Ryan mentioned, we have a review of 1917. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about this. I can't wait to talk about it as well. Um, You know what's interesting, too, is it's 2020, and we decided to make a few changes on the show. Right. I'm glad you brought this up. Yes. You'll hear a few new uh, things that we're trying out. Bells and whistles, Ryan. Bells and whistles. Literally. Sound effects. Right. Some music bumpers. And hopefully just a little bit of the structure of the show is different. Not too much, I I hope. We really want to get your feedback, though. So, uh, Jawheads, let us know what you like, what you don't, what you think's working, what's not. Please, feedback at cinemajaw.com. And on that, we always are trying you know, new segments or bringing old segments back. And there was a segment that we used to do every single week. Then we sort of semi-retired it. Yeah, well, it, it took a hiatus. Right, and it was entitled Cinema War. Right. And this was where me and you, we would battle on a topic, and it was very difficult for us to come up with a topic each week to argue on, to be honest. Yeah, uh, of all the things we have to write weekly, that was the one we slaved over the most. So... As strange as this sounds, but the story is true, about a month ago, mm-hmm. um, we heard from a jawhead that wrote in to us for the first time, and his name was Emmett Spangler. That's a weird name. He said he is a distant nephew of Egon Spangler, Okay. and he is named after Dr. Emmett Brown of Hill Valley, 
who his parents were big fans of. He told us, get a load of this, Matt. Uh, he okay. told us that he invented a machine that could create a cinema war topic. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, how odd, but all right. That's exactly what we need. Yeah. All you have to do is plug in some variables, be it movies, actors, or directors. You set a year on the machine, and it will output a cinema war topic. That's fantastic. We wrote back, cool, send it to us, you goofball. Figuring there's no way any type of machine is going to come to the Cards Against Humanity studios. Well, about a week or so later... A very odd-looking machine uh, showed up in the mail, and it looks like it did get a little damaged in transit, which is the strange thing. The time circuit generator buttons are all smashed on this thing. Oh, man. So when we turned it on, it stuck on the year 2000. That's a good year. I mean, It's a weird year that it got stuck on. Maybe that's just the default. We'll figure out how to fix it eventually. So we've been playing around with this thing, trying to get it to work uh, properly, but it's stuck on 2000. Well... Whatever. Should we just use it anyway? Well, we could use it this week, but uh, I mean, we like you said, you got to put in just like actor's name or a director or it's, something like it's that. It's only one name that that you should put into that thing. One name that you should put in to start it all off. Yeah, to kick it off, you got to go. Well, let let me plug it in oh, here. Okay. All right. Are you and, ready? Okay. Who are you thinking? Nicholas Cage. Not bad, Matt Kay. That is not bad at all. All right, let's do it. I, I mean, I think if if we use this machine and the first one is Nick Cage, I don't know what can happen. We got it plugged in. It's stuck on the year 2000. You ready for this? Can I do the honors? Yeah, go ahead and put Nick Cage's name into it and turn it on. Wow. A little dusty in here. What's it say? All right. Cinema War topic is better Nick Cage movie of the year 2000, Family Man or Gone in 60 Seconds? Oof. Uh, I mean, I'll take Gone in 60 Seconds. Oh, I was going to say, I'll take Family Man. Oh, man. Are you serious? No, absolutely. It's Family Man. Cinema Cinema War. War. 2000. It's back, Matt. (laughs) Wow. Hey, Best maybe... performances of 2020? There you just had it, Jawheads. Wow. Maybe this machine's going to work. I think we should use this thing every week. Oh, thank you, Emmett. All right. We got a cinema war for David Folly to uh, judge us on. That's going to be fun. Yes. All right. Uh, two other house cleaning notes. Okay. One, we're going to get to the riddle next week. Got a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. Just got through the holidays. And, and more on the riddles coming up. But we do have a new theme this month. Well, do tell. What is it? So... Every month this year, a theme, just like last year. Okay. And we needed to kick it off strong. Strong. If you'll recall, last year, 2019, we kicked it off with Samuel L. Jackson. That is a strong kickoff. Mm. So what do we do this year? Are you ready? I am. Ladies and gentlemen, the month of January is Robert Downey Jr. Month. He has a new film coming out. Sticking with that Avengers theme, I see. Dr. Doolittle, and we decided to celebrate the career of Robert Downey Jr. It's a long and storied career. One New thing this year that you can expect, Jawheads, is we are going to do a Cinema Jaw retrospective review, which will show up sometime in the future. But it'll show up on the same uh, time. Uh, our regular feed. Our regular yes. feed. But and it'll no be no extra a, cost to you. It'll be a separate podcast, and this month we are going to review Chaplin. Yeah, 
We're calling it a sidecar, Ryan. That's the that's the nomenclature, the there terminology. The so let's kick off Robert Downey Jr. month with an interesting fact about RDJ. We kick off our month-long celebration of RDJ with this fact. Pretty in Pink's Molly Ringwald has revealed that she pushed for Robert to get the part of Ducky in the hit 80s flick, but producers decided to give the role to John Cryer instead. Can you imagine if she had gotten her way? Boy, I don't know. I mean, I was about to say uh, those producers should have been fired, but that is absolutely a John Cryer role. I, well, that's the way we think of it now. Yeah, but can you imagine anybody else's Ducky? He is Ducky. Hmm. If it was Robert Downey Jr., he's too good looking. Like, it would have made sense for her to go with him. Like, John Cryer was sort of the, the lovable dork. I see where you're coming from. Right? Like, but, the romance wouldn't have worked with him. But that's because we think of Robert Downey Jr. now as Robert Downey Jr., but throw it way back in the day. We didn't have that preconception of him. That's true, but he's dreamy, man. Hmm. Hmm. He's a good-looking guy. All right, well, we're going to have interesting facts and clips all month long. I can't wait. This is a great one, Ryan. Good this job. Is. Good job. Speaking of a great one, mm-hmm. we got a great guest. Yeah, almost as good-looking as Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yes, very studious beard. Uh, make sure you go to cinemajaw.com or our Instagram and look at our photo of us three. David J. Foley has been working at Keeping It Real, and that's keeping it dash it dash real, spelled like a film reel, dot com for over 10 years. It's been a long time since he's been back on the jaw. David J. Foley, welcome to Cinema Jaw. Hey, thanks, guys. We were, just, we were just waiting for you to walk in looking like George Clooney, <laughs> and, and now you, you, you've done it, sir. There you go. No problem. You got a tie on, glasses, yeah, studious yeah, beard. Yeah. Do you feel like a film critic with this look? Uh, you know. Because <laughs> you look at, you got the look down, my it, man. It helps to dress the part. Mm-hmm. It helps. So keeping it real, did you think when you started it way back then that 10 years or so later you would still be, still be at it? No. No, I didn't. I, you know, started it with a friend of mine and the whole idea was people were asking us about what we thought we're good movies out there, and we're like, why don't we just, you know, develop a website where they can read our work? And I'm, I'm this the guy who's still around, and I have some contributing writers, and you know, I it's it's def, there's definitely been times where I felt like oh, throwing a towel here, but you know, there's always those movies that come along that inspire you to write about them and promote them and. You Keep know, it going. Get behind them. So champion those movies. So you also do some interviews at the site. Yeah, yeah. And that's the cool thing is like I feel like uh, if you're doing something long enough and you show some consistency, then you'll you'll be seen. Okay, and there'll be if you're doing something continuously, there'll be opportunities that come your way. So those I see those interviews as great opportunities, and I'm always interested to talk to writers, directors, actors, filmmakers. It's, um, it's, it's an honor. It's cool. So since we're talking 2019 in this episode, who was the, uh, or what was the most fun you had on an interview last mm. year? Uh, probably at the Chicago Critics Film Festival when I interviewed um, uh, Ashling Franciosa, Franciosi from The Nightingale. Uh, that was just it was really cool. Um, she was... Uh, was that like a Q&A after, or was that like press uh, It was before her. she went on stage for her Q&A. It was Got while it. the movie was playing, and it was you know in the 
the back patio there at the music box. Mm-hmm. And she was just very, you know, engaging, disarming, um, really easy to talk to. And um, I, you know, got a lot out of it. And the funny thing is, is you guys may know that I'm also an artist and I, I draw people I see on the bus and train. And she saw my sketchbook and she said she wanted to buy one of my drawings. Oh, wow. And, you know, so many things happen, you know, publicists are waiting and, you know, she's going to be passed to another interviewer. And so then she goes on stage and everything. And then just because she was a great interview and everything, I just kind of ripped that page out and passed it over to the publicist and said, just give this to her and don't tell her. And, and then like, I got to thank you a while back from the publicist, or maybe a couple weeks later. And then on Twitter, uh, the, the actress posted, I finally framed this drawing from David J. Fowley. Thank you so much. It's going to be on my wall. Oh, wow. So that, you... that kind of, you know, tapped off that, that cool That's moment. That's super rewarding. What yeah. was the drawing of? It was just a just kind a of random? Like, it was just kind of like a collage of different people that I saw on the train. It was on one page. Yeah. I like the name for these drawings, too. It's called Rough Transit. Yeah. yeah. So, so I hope to collect them in a, in a book one day, so... That's really cool, man. I once saw a guy on a train that looked so much like my dad. I was freaked out to the point where I almost went over and said, Dad? I'm sorry, I'm, Dad. Like, that, seriously, that sounds like a funny story, but imagine that. It that was, would be freaky. It was eerie. We should write the screenplay. I took a picture of the guy. I'll show you. So, side by side. So, David, coming out of 2019, uh-huh. yeah. your favorite movie. So it gives the jawheads an idea of where you're coming from. What was your favorite movie of 2019? Well, I'm not too far from at least one of you. Uh, my favorite movie is from South Korea. It's called Parasite. Mm. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I'm sure I would have it high on my list had I seen it. I still have to catch up with Parasite. There's they didn't time. send us a screener. There's time. You know. Still in theaters? Yeah. That's true. I got to get out to uh, the Evanston Theater. It's probably. worth yes. checking out in yeah. the big screen. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, for the jawheads that want to read your reviews, where's the best place to send them online? I just go to Keeping It Real, uh, keeping-it-real, R-E-E-L.com. And what about your Instagram? For, uh, if they want to see yeah. the, the art. David J. Fowley, most of my, um, <laughs> most of my art was, is posted on, on Facebook. I should probably, uh, no, there's some on, on Instagram, and you could also find me on, on Twitter, David J. Fowley, F-O-W-L-I-E. And we'll put all David's links in our show notes, as usual. All of my links. Mm-hmm. That sounds Even good. Even my missing links, which was a good movie, too. It was a good movie. Yeah. It was. All right, let's kick this jaw into high gear. <laughs> all right. Sam Mendez who bursted out onto the scene in 1999 with his big-screen debut, American Beauty, a film that not only won Oscar for Best Picture, but also awarded Sam Mendes an Oscar for directing. Not bad for your first feature. His latest film, 1917, is his most ambitious. Does this technical marvel have the heart of a saving Private Ryan? Matt, David, and I made our way across enemy lines to check it out. In your own time, gentlemen. Must be something big if the channel's here. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion? Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. 
the plot of 1917 is told to us in the first five minutes of the movie. Two troops are given a task to save the lives of 1,600 men, including one of the soldiers' brothers. Their general has received word that this battalion of troops is acting on wrong information and are in fact walking into a trap. The two soldiers, Lance Corporal Blake and Schofield, must cross no man's land, past enemy fire, somehow stay alive, and get word to the battalion's leaders to halt the attack and avoid the trap. The key element separating 1917 from all other war films is that it's done in one take, at least the illusion that it's done in one take. So I start here. Matt, did the amazing camera work and one-shot style help build the tension of seeing this mission unfold in real time? Or was the craft of the movie d- distracting in some way? No, it wasn't distracting, uh, not at all, Ryan. Uh, I remember hearing about Mendez's decision to make this film a pseudo one-take, but it took me about a third into the picture to realize, hang on a second, there are no cuts. And this technique, call it a gimmick, gimmick if you wish, had the effect of placing us alongside the characters in the trenches of World War I through an unrelenting hell ride. What I found most satisfying about the movie, aside from the wonderful acting of our two leads, George McKay and Dean Charles Chapman, was the palindromic story structure. The film reflects in on itself like a Rorschach blot, and I dug that. Where the movie falls down is the same old, same old nature of war movies. Unlike a Jojo Rabbit, 1917 does little, aside from the aforementioned gimmick, to buck any tropes or conventions, which gave the picture the tried-and-true Saving Private Ryan feel. So if you like that, swell. But if you were expecting more, I think you'll be disappointed. And Bride, David, did you, do you guys agree? Did Mendez's script, minus the one-take technique, feel like just another war movie? I don't know. I mean, I feel like this is kind of my kind of war movie where you're following one guy go through hell. And that's kind of the best way to epitomize a war zone or the the, the tone and vibe of wartime. Um I, I, to be honest, I didn't really focus on the script or the story. I mean, there were some small moments, some some quiet moments that I was leaning in closer to understand, uh, just to pick up the dialogue and, and see what they were saying because there, it was such a kind of like a heightened anxiety environment and you're, you're just afraid for these people. Um, but yeah, the, the story didn't bother me. Sure, it's 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 a little formulaic, but uh, formula is okay as long as it's, it's, everything has its parts, you know, spinning, you know, in a, in a, in a good way. And I think it's, uh, Sam Mendes does a good job here with, along with cinematographer Roger Deakins, but um, yeah, I did, I didn't mind, you know, the, the story at all. I think what captured my mind and imagination is just the environment of it all. Yeah, I, I like that the story is, I hate to say simple when you're talking about, you know, a World War I story here, but simple in the fact that the, the mission that these two have to go on is point blank. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you got to get to this battalion to give them the information. So it's pretty easy to understand. And then at that point, you can just sort of forget everything else that's going on and just immerse yourself in the experience that these two soldiers are having from all the different environments that they go in. Yes, they, they cross no man's land, 
But let's talk about that awesome scene where they go below ground mm-hmm. um, and how terrifying that was. Um, you know, it's dark. Yeah. They don't know what's going on. There's some surprises there. There's nothing, though, that we don't see in every other war picture that we've seen. But I would say the technique of using this all in one shot right. was, was brilliant at times the, because you don't have time to relax and sort of settle down and wait for the next big set piece. Your, your body is just along for the ride, so you're, you're feeling the tension because these guys literally just got out of one terrible situation and without a cut, without time to breathe, find themselves... In, in another one, and that right. worked. That heightened it all it for does, me. It does have a nice episodic uh, feel to it, uh, especially when once one of the soldiers is, is on his own. Um, he, he, you know, there's a, a scene where he's kind of looking behind him at a, at a situation he was just in, which was extremely meaningful as, as a transport he's in is pulling away, and it almost gives you a bit of closure. So it does have these nice little pockets of, of an episode within the movie, um, I really liked, there's a scene, I don't want to spoil anything, where he meets a French citizen um, mm. who's, who's trying to rescue another person's life. Yeah. And that held a lot of meaning. Like, yeah. I think if anything, that might be the heart of the movie as to what the meaning of the whole thing was. But it's fleeting. The rest of the movie is guns and explosions. And don't get me wrong, guys, I am a fan of, of boom, boom movies, but I just didn't think that this one gave us anything new to chew on except for that camera work. And as cool as that is, like, how did they do that in the trenches? That's not what I go to the movies to see. I want a story, and I just didn't get that. Uh, I mean, I can understand that, but you can't say that moment there when he's talking to that French citizen. You're talking about the one in the fire, the mm-hmm. woman, right? Yes, yes, yes. You can't say that's fleeting. It's very fleeting. It's like that, one minute of a, of a two-hour movie. I mean, that... Five minutes. Okay, okay. For, as far as the time frame of the movie, whatever. But but it's a powerful moment. It is because it's it's humanizing this situation. There's chaos, chaos, and all of a sudden it's there's a quiet moment where there's a human connection. Yeah. Where there was, uh, it's an unexpected human connection. It's something that was totally unexpected, and it's it reminds you that there's there's other people out there. There's there's things at stake. You know, beyond right. it's not just men beyond with guns. fighting for your life. There's people trying to survive and. Um, it's not something that you really expected. I mean, we know that this guy, uh, this pair, and eventually this guy, is going to go on a perilous journey. The, the simple plot line is telling you that, well, it's not going to be easy. Right. It's going to be a perilous journey. But what are they going to experience? And I think that this movie gives you a little bit enough of different situations than you'd typically see in a war movie that set itself apart from whether it be environment or the people he interacts with, that set itself apart from a typical war movie. We see different things than just you know enemy combatants. I agree and disagree. I don't think it sets itself apart from the typical war movie. I think the things that it does, even that very human beat, which I agree, the things that it does do, it does well, but we've seen them all before. It, it, Saving Private Ryan is a great war movie, and it had all of these same beats. What it didn't have is being done in one take. That's what 1917 has. Does it end really well with that that palindrome I mentioned, how it reflects back at itself? Yeah, that was cool. But I don't know, man. It's just like everything else between the meat, the, the sandwich doesn't have the meat in the middle. Well, we talked about the cinematography here and and that one particular scene with the burning buildings. Mm-hmm. There, there are some parts That's, in this that movie amazing. that were literally gorgeous on screen. The way it was airplane. lit and the airplane scene oh, was yeah. going to be my favorite. Yeah. And this isn't too much of a spoiler. It's used in all the ads I've seen on, on TV. So... Jawheads who haven't seen this probably are familiar with what we're is talking there, about. Is there an Oscar for lighting? 
It was a great lighting. Oh. Yeah. Unbelievable yeah. lighting. But this this airplane scene mm. is because it's all done in one take. Again, you have this feeling of seeing this uh, wounded uh, airplane up in the sky, oh, that scene. and you don't know where it's coming, mm-hmm. and it's getting closer to these soldiers, and then it's like, oh my god, this is incredible. How they pulled that all off is beautiful movie magic because the scene just continues on. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, and that's why I, I look at a scene like that and I'm like, you know, I I haven't seen a scene like that before. Ever. So, I mean, I don't know about ever, but it, I mean, you know, it's you just it's it's been a while since you've seen like something like that in a in a modern day war movie. Mm-hmm. I will say I was not totally taken away emotionally which I wanted to be. I wanted at the end of it to have that emotional journey where I was just, oh my God, that's my that's my movie of the year. I think I went into yeah. that with that feeling, and I think it was lacking that. I was still in awe a lot of, of the film, uh, especially the craft and how they made it. Loved the journey. Would this have made your top 10, right? Putting you on no, the spot. I had saw it prior to. Oh, okay. I saw it prior okay. to. So. It wouldn't have made mine. I mean, did you want to be, what, exhausted at the end or what? Yeah, maybe exhausted, okay. Okay. yeah, asking for water. But um, I, it, it's, it's actually, to be honest, it's like an 11 through 20 pick. I, fu- I found it interesting that, interesting that you start with Colin Firth. You, 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 in the middle, you meet Mark Strong, and in the end, you had Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. I like those cameos, by the way. <laughs> oh, you Mark, did? Yes, Mark Strong in particular. I, I'm always distracted a little bit by him. <laughs> I really am, especially when it was Colin Firth, because right. when Colin Firth comes on, to be absolutely honest, I'm like, wait, is it Colin Firth or isn't it? Because then I'm thinking in my head, well, if it's Colin Firth, he's going to have a much bigger part than just this <laughs> two-minute speech that he's going to give. Yeah. But no, it's just Colin Firth, and yeah. it's a little distracting for me. Jarring. Yeah, Cumberbatch is the one that distracted me. Like, I didn't... Mark Strong is still, I, I guess, at least in my mind, not somebody... He, he's more of an up-and-comer. I liked everything he's done. Yeah. But Cumberbatch, I saw him, I was like, oh, there's Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. How about a movie poster quote here, Matt Kay? There are 1,917 reasons you should see Sam Mendez's new film, but only one take. That's not bad, man. Thanks. Thank you. You came good. out. Yeah. Hey, that's a new, good one. New year, new me, like producer Pat was saying. Wow. Now I'm embarrassed to say mine. I went with... Uh, <laughs> I went with... Oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> a must-see World War One shot. That's not bad. Don't be too hard on yourself. <laughs> I'll go, still go with Matt's, but that's good. All right, let's swing it around the room. How many jaws were on a four-jaw scale here, David? I'd go with three and a half. Listen, I mean, I, as much poo-pooing as I did, I actually think this is a four-jaw movie. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's You're ridiculous. I know. You, you, can't, you can't mark that four stars after what you said. I agree. He does on. that all the that's, time. That's a three he does for it all you. The time. All right, Ryan? Three and a half jaws. <laughs> it's three and a half jaws. I, hey, man, it's really well-crafted. Mm. Just wanted a little more story. Agreed. All right. Definitely a notable film of 2019. And since we just came out of the year, that is our topic this week, Matt. Top five best performances of 2019. I'm excited. David, you're our guest, so we like to let the guests get started. And we like to ask you, was it a difficult list to come up with? How did you approach it? Uh, it was only difficult because of the amount of time you had prepared me to think about it. <laughs> so yeah, a couple of days ago you're like, yeah, best uh, performance of 2019. I'm like, holy cow. Um, and you know, this time of year I'm I'm thinking about kind of thinking about that anyway. But yeah, you probably have your top lists going. Sure, you know, it's circling in the between my ears there. Um, really, what I wanted to do then is just since I had a short amount of time to come up with this, I wanted to just close my eyes and think about faces, images 
scenes, sequences, whatever, that stood out to me. And there's certain characters, certain actors that, that stood up. Some of these choices on my list are discoveries. Uh, some of these just, um, I can't get them out of my head. And some of these are actors who have been around for a while that I'm, I'm just, it's almost like a rediscovery, just, just appreciating them even more. Nice. You're number five. All right, my number five. Uh, I did mention uh, off mic that it's going to be difficult to pronounce this, but uh, Haldora Gerharas de Tour, de Dotir. Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> she is a fantastic actress who uh, was uh, the main character in an Icelandic movie called Woman at War. Uh, came out last spring, uh, played mostly at the music box, I believe. Uh, but this is a, it's a cool movie. It, she plays a character named Hala. She's a 50-year-old choir conductor and eco-activist who crusades against the local aluminum industry in her beautiful homeland, Iceland. I mean, it's set amid, like, the Icelandic highlands. It's amazing. The fjords. Yeah, well, it's just, just amazing. So as she she gets a little bold in her actions and becomes like a real like physical presence in as far as being uh, an, an activist. I mean, she takes power lines down and everything. But in a blink of an eye, when she is, you know, finally granted permission to adopt a girl from the Ukraine, she has to make up, she has to come up with to terms with what her actions are going to, what kind of future her actions are going to bring her. Um, I thought she was fantastic. Uh, presence in the film. I mean, she definitely, and she actually winds up playing kind of, two characters it's kind of interesting but she was a discovery to me and I've never seen her before I was just kind of enraptured by her presence on screen she plays a sympathetic character with a great fire and warmth um, and I found her to be quite memorable and it's kind of going to be interesting because Jodie Foster is directing and starring in a remake of this movie Ah. so we'll see how that goes and again the name of the film Woman at War there you go Woman at War it's a good one, man. Yeah. Uh, mine is also a, a bit of a discovery here. Um, one of my favorite movies from last year was uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I saw, when did that come out? Like February or March? It was early yeah, in the early. year. Yeah. And, and I knew like, wow, this one's going to be hard to top. It was my number one for a long, long time. And due in no small part to the fantastic work of Jonathan Majors, who plays Mont in the film. And I don't know what it is. Mont, the character, is kind of somewhere on the spectrum. I would say he's he's just a little bit different. He he sort of documents his friends. He's learning the mannerisms. He's a bit socially awkward, so he's always observing other people and and making notes because he's writing this play about their lives <laughs> and all the while this whole plot with their the house is going on. And eventually he stages this play in the attic that's also a way for him to tell his friend something that is life-changing and something that his friend does not want to hear. And that moment was so over the top. The whole performance is fantastic. Like when he, he jumps out from, from behind a bookcase in the old house when people are... I love that one. Yeah. He's just really good, played a difficult character in an offbeat film. It, it, let's call it unusual film. And I'd never seen a performance like that. And it stood out for me as one that I really, really liked. So there you I, go. I still got to catch up with that movie. Ooh. It, it I is, think it's worth it. Yeah. It is streaming on Amazon, Amazon. Prime. Yeah. So if I know if you're in the, the States or North America, it's on Amazon Prime. There you go. Uh, my number five, I also somewhat of a discovery, definitely a breakout uh, year for this actor. He had two great roles, and I'm going to highlight one of them. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Kelvin Harris Jr. 
Mm-hmm. He had two wonderful performances, one of them in Waves, which made my top 10 of the year. But I'm actually going to highlight his performance in Loose, and that's spelled L-U-C-E, in which he plays the lead character named Loose. And it's a phenomenal cast in general. you got uh, Naomi Watts in there. You have um, Tim Roth. Tim Roth. Yeah. And the teacher is played by Octavia Spencer. Octavia Spencer. Yeah. And it ends up being Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s movie, though. Yeah. What a performance. So he plays this character, Luce, who was uh, originally, he was born in like a, a war, war-torn uh, country in Africa. And one of these kind of, you know, child that, that was firing a gun at like the age of oh, six. Like a child soldier, yeah. And we, we're meeting him as a teenager about to graduate high school, and he's going to be the valedictorian of his class because his parents, Naomi Watts and Tim Roth, have done such an amazing job of adopting him and raising him, uh, you know, great culture, the high school, everybody loves him. He's so well-spoken as far as like a debater and a public speaker, and and he just has a charisma. Everybody loves this guy. Well, he ends up writing a a paper, which was an assignment to write uh, a paper for... uh, a teacher, played by Octavia Spencer, to look at someone else's point of view. And he ends up writing something that, because of everybody having this prior knowledge that this is where he grew up in this, you know, difficult area in Africa, and he writes this article that every everybody starts to fear he may be going down, you know, the wrong, wrong streets all of a sudden as he gets older. Mm. And it calls into question, number one, how we perceive people why we have these fake truths in our head about everybody that comes into our lives. Like, we think we know everybody, but do we really know them? And even his adoptive parents aren't sure what to make they of them. They begin to doubt. And it would not, none of it would, would, would work if Kelvin Harris Jr. doesn't play this absolutely perfect. Yeah. He walks that fine line where you don't know, is he playing it on purpose? Or is he a sociopath? Or is he a soci- sociopath? Or... Are we just ourselves, the viewers, looking at this wrong? I thought the thing was brilliant. He's fantastic in it, yeah, and Waves. I mean, he's just fantastic. Yeah, and I think, I don't know when Loose is coming out on Hulu, I believe it is. Okay. Can we throw it in the uh, jaw box? Loose, L-U-C-E, Pat. See if it's streaming anymore. I mean, I'm sure it'll be soon. Into our fours? All right, Uh, number four for me is... uh, uh, Julianne Moore's performance in Gloria Bell. Um, this is one of the actors I was talking about. She's been around forever. I've, I've liked her for a long time. I mean, her first first performance that kind of like, you know, I, I remember her from her small role in The Fugitive. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes an actor you, you take for granted a little bit, okay? Because you, you think she's always going to be, you're here, she's always going to be good in what they're doing, whatever they show up in. But, when I watched her in this role, that she plays a title character, Gloria Bell, I was uh, reminded of the joy of kind of, it's kind of a rare joy, I think, of rediscovering an actor you're familiar with. And uh, she's just great here. She delivers a kind of a, a transcendent performance as a middle-aged divorcee with two children who she spends her nights letting loose on a dance floor in Los Angeles clubs, and she's a free spirit. Uh, she's open-hearted, uh, yet it's an open-hearted yet heartbreaking piece of acting. Uh, she gets in a relationship with John Turturro. He, he plays a great role, too. But she really stands out. She carries the movie. Um, and it's, it's actually uh, the director, Sebastian Lelio's, uh, a remake of his own movie, I think, from Brazil. But That was just titled Gloria. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so, yeah. But, yeah, she, again, 
I, I knew I wanted to see it because I heard good things about it, but, uh, you know, I wanted to hang out with her more, you know, when the movie was over, mm -hmm. and that's always a good sign. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to put her on my list because, like I said, as I closed my eyes, I, I just thought of her, her dancing on the dance floor and her just singing to... Uh, uh, total Eclipse of the Heart in her car, you know, <laughs> driving down the California highway. I love that scene. Yeah, it's, it's just fun. That one's also on Amazon Prime. Yeah, so. There you go. All right, swings it back to me. And at number four, I have one, I, I would say, is also a rediscovery. Okay. Uh, or, or a reemergence, I guess. Because this actor is somebody I think we all loved at one point or another and sort of watched his career slowly go south and then he completely dropped off the map for years and years. But this year he came back strong, and I'm talking Eddie Murphy in Dolomite is My Name. Oh, yeah. Nice. I mean, it was a performance. I, I remember, Ryan, <laughs> you actually got to interview uh, some of the casting crew on the red carpet in Toronto, right? Yeah, including Eddie. Oh, that was, yeah, that's right, Eddie, Eddie himself. And uh, somebody you talked to said, Eddie's back. The ah, director, yeah. That's cool. Right. Craig and Brewer? It, yep. Yeah. And agreed. This is the movie, Eddie Murphy's back. It wasn't Daddy Daycare. One of his, one of his, Oh, man, what was that one where he was on Mars? Oh, there was, like, Holy Man. and yeah, He, unfortunately, really had a string of duds there for a while. Yeah. But this is the old Eddie Murphy, I mean, from the 80s and 90s, like, back in full form. And it was just really pleasant to, to get that Eddie Murphy yeah. again. Like, it's like, where you been, man? Missed it's, you. It's a different stage of his career. I think it's really cool to see him so chill and relaxed. I mean, even his SNL performance recently, he's so comfortable in, in where he's at in life. Um, I, I think he's great here. And the cool part about that movie is that a lot of times he just gives it up to his supporting actors. And, For sure. And he just lets them be getting the spotlight just as much. Yeah. yeah. Nice pick at number four. I mentioned um, when I was doing my number five, I talked about uh, that Kelvin Harris Jr. was wonderful in Loose, but also Waves. And I stick with this movie, Waves because mm. I think the standout performance is given by the young Taylor Russell. Oh, my gosh. This is a discovery. Yeah. I mean, this performance blew me away. She plays Emily, the younger sister of Tyler, who's played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. And, and Tyler commits a crime. I'm sure most jawheads out there have not seen this movie, so I'm not going to give it away. But he commits a crime. And we, in part two of the movie, basically see the effects of his crime on his younger sister. Mm. Um, but we also see the strength of her character, and she does not let in let the actions of her older brother end up ruining her life. And in fact, she has enough strength to actually turn the tide with another character who she m meets, who's played by Lucas Hedges, which involves his family. Amazing performance by this young actress. I don't know how old Taylor Russell is. Can we throw that in the jaw box, Pat? How old is the actress Taylor Russell? But she's she's phenomenal beyond her years. I I was blown away by this performance. It's a nice one. Right? Yeah, she's she's amazing in that. And I I only knew her from uh, the Netflix Lost in Space. She plays Penny. Oh, and, uh, I gave up on that show. Oh, no, it's, it's it's good. It is. Yeah, I haven't watched the second season, but but um, she was one of the best things of that show. And then this movie blew me away, and she broke my heart in that movie. All right, so what are we on to? Number three? All right, my number three is uh, Lupita Nyong'o in mm. Us. Yeah, um, this is a good one. How? I mean, when she first speaks as Red, 
I mean, come on. How can that not that be breathy, out of out of breath voice? How can that not be a lasting memory at the end of 2019? Mm-hmm. I mean, just that voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a chilling scene, and all of a sudden you're at the edge of your seat, pulling in closer to the screen. What is going to go on? What's what's going to happen? What's this character about? And the fact that she, we, you know, obviously we know that it involves doppelganger. So she, you know, as an actress, you're sitting there watching, and as, as an actress, you realize that she's playing two roles, and it's it's a challenge and it's difficult, but it's, you can tell she's just really getting into it. And it's, it's an amazing performance. Uh, I think she, she's astounding on many levels. I mean, physically, uh, as far as the, the vocalization of each character, the physical uh, movements. Um, and then once, you know, once you get through all the twists and turns, then you go back and think about the choices that she's made as an actor in both roles in the movie, and you're just, you just okay, let's watch it again. Yeah. I've only seen it the one time at the, the press screening, the screening yeah. and that was way back earlier. Sure. You know, so I'm dying to see it a second yeah. time. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, uh, over to me, number three, and this is where I put, I, I don't think these, my next three are going to be major surprises to people, um, but this is where I put Scarlett Johansson, and not for Marriage Story. What? Not for Marriage Story, guys. <laughs> I rewatched Jojo Rabbit and realized that that is, she had a great year, but that is her best performance of the year. And I think one of the best performances of the year, one of the best movies of the year. And she, it's so easy to overlook what she does, but it's, it's kind of like a life is beautiful thing that she has going on. She's protecting Jojo from the horrors that are really going on around him. All the political realities that he's just kind of playing dress up within, you know? And she tries to teach him about love. She tries to be the father figure because the dad is missing. Mm. She's doing all these things while at the same time she's she has a, a, a refugee up in her attic. Uh, she's a political activist at a time when people were killed mm-hmm. for being political activists. And, you know, we, we see this character arc end in a very sad place and I don't think we would have been that sad if she hadn't made us love her. And that's why I put her so high mm. uh, on my list. Especially her relationship with JoJo. It's, you know? I believed it. I bought it. But then again, when she's drinking wine in the, in the little hidey hole mm-hmm. with Thomas and McKenzie, that was an amazing scene, Loved too, it. that made you think about womanhood and, mm-hmm. and motherhood and stuff like that. It was, I don't know. She did... Uh, it's, it's a performance that's not being talked about enough. No, I, I agree with you. She's really great in that. And uh, it was kind of a surprise. I mean, we go from the death of Black Widow, spoiler alert, to uh, Marriage Story. I mean, but then in between that, we have this beautiful performance. So I, I agree. It's, it's a really nice surprise. Yeah, it's a great year for her. Absolutely. Speaking of a great year, this gentleman had two great movies in 2019. I can't believe I'm about to say his name, but I'm going for it. Okay. Holy, holy hell. Number three on my list, Shia LaBeouf. Okay. No, I, I, no that's good. Wow. Yeah. I'll agree there. with you. Whew. Said it. Shia LaBeouf had the Peanut Butter Falcon mm-hmm. and my number three pick, Honey Boy. This is Loved a film. It. Still haven't seen it. This oh, is a film enough. in which he wrote in rehab as rehabilitation, writing about his life, especially his childhood growing up. And it concerns him at the age of about 12-ish in that, or that range when mm-hmm. he's just a young actor. And at that time, he was living with his father, who is just 
deranged and just a strange individual. Yeah. yeah, he's all over the place. And it's not necessarily just like drugs like we see in, in some cases where it, they simplify it. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's easy. He's got a personality problem. He does. He's got a complete <laughs> personality problem. And Shia plays his father, which is such a gutsy move in the movie. And it's 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 so heart-wrenching watching his performance of this is what he thought of his dad and the way he's talking to, in in essence, himself playing the boy. Incredible, incredible performance. And he's bald in this movie. He's got glasses on. And I thought when I saw just the, the you know, advertisements for this movie, I'll never buy Shia LaBeouf in this role. He's let us down whoa, a few times. Whoa, this was, this was, I mean, it's my number three best performance of the year. I, I found it outstanding. I liked it a lot. I mean, here's the thing. Shia LaBeouf has a <laughs> tremendous talent. Are we saying LaBeouf or LaBeouf? I don't guys? know. I'm just I like cracking LaBeouf. up because I think of LaBeouf and I think of Matt Damon's character in True Grit. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going LaBeouf. All right. LaBeouf. But um, yes, he's he's made some really strong movies. There's really, no doubt. He really has, yeah. and and I think that he's also you know like I said disappointed us quite a bit. But this movie, man, holy crap! Did this take some guts and could have gone horribly wrong right off the rails and been a laughing stock. You know. Yeah. So. Very risky move for his career in a, in a lot of ways, but he went for it, and he stuck this landing big time. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, so far we've come up with actors who've had good years, like Kelvin Harrison and, and Scarlett Johansson and, and Shia LaBeouf. Um, Peanut Butter Falcon was fantastic in my eyes. I haven't seen Honey Boy, I really want to yet. That and, you know, Last Black Man in San Francisco is on my list. Um, so we're on to number two, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, my number two comes from a performance in Parasite. It's hard to choose a performance from Parasite. It's so great. It's hard to choose. This is one I still need to catch but, up But, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Song Kang-ho, uh, Mr. Kim. Um, I thought that there's a lot of great characters in this movie, and I think he says quite a bit without saying much um, in uh, Bong Joon-ho's a brilliant dark dramedy thriller, Parasite. Um, yeah, we learn more about his character, uh, Kim, uh, Mr. Kim, who, who lives with his wife, son, and daughter in a small, cramped, semi-basement apartment in South Korea there uh, as the story unfolds. But one of the most fascinating things about the film is, is watching what the actors do with their roles and specifically what King Ho does, uh, gradually unveiling an impressive range uh, underneath a character who's used to being kind of invisible and silent and observant. And you're not sure what to make of him at first. But then there's, there's a point maybe in the second half of the movie where you kind of relate to him too. And it's just like, ugh, you know, and what is, what is this guy going to do? And we, we just kind of feel for him and fear for him and, you know, don't want him to do certain things. I, I think that's the brilliance yeah. of, of Parasite is you're feeling so many emotions yeah. at the same exact time. Uh, I, it, it's, it's unreal. It's layered, it's complex, the movie, but so is this character. And I think that that's credit to Song Kang-ho. Great performances all around, but this one just kind of stuck with me, especially the moments where he's driving uh, the Park family around. I mean, that's just, yeah. Um, there's there's a certain smell about mm-hmm. that in the air there. <laughs> I like it. Nice For day. those that have seen it. Yeah. All right. Uh, wait, wait, where does this leave us? We're at You're number, number two. two. Okay. 
Who's your number two, baby? All right. Well, at number two, this is where I have a marriage story performance. Okay. Uh, just one of the best movies of the year. I think we're all in agreement on that. Yes. And man, it's Adam Driver for me. <clears throat> yeah. He he just knocked this one right out of the park. We've Adam Driver's been pretty damn good in everything. Even even Kylo Ren in the first uh, of the new trilogy when he goes berserk with the lightsaber in the room after hearing some bad news. <laughs> like I was like, oh, actually, this is probably some of the best acting in a Star Wars movie, <laughs> you know? And then he, like, drip, drip, drip. We got uh, Black Klansman and uh, Lucky Logan. Scorsese's The Silence. I didn't see that Logan one. Logan Lucky. Mm-hmm. Logan Lucky yeah. I, I really liked. And he, he's just had a slew of really good movies. Yeah. But then Marriage Story came out, and holy crap. I, I, think, I think he's going to win the Oscar. I mean, it's hmm. almost... I don't know. He's neck and neck with my number one. So. Oh, wow. That's a dead giveaway now. That was yeah. such a lead in right there. <laughs> right. I like it. My number two, already mentioned by David Foley, was Lapita Nyong'o. All right. All right. So I'm going to sub one in here. Okay. Do an audible. And I'm going with Saoirse Ronan for Little Women. That's a good one. And Little Women has a few great performances I would have gone with there. Florence Pugh. I know. Yeah. I, I, I wrote it's them both hard. down. Again, I wrote it's both a down. movie that's hard to choose performances, It is, right? because it's, it's all so, so yeah. brilliant. But I love, I, I really love everything Saoirse Ronan's doing right now. So it's one of those that uh, I'm going to the theater, and it's just a complete joy to watch this you're, actor. You're a fan. Oh, it, extreme. Like, um, last year's Lady, Lady Bird, same thing. I was already a fan then, and then you go there, and you're just like, oh, my God. Even better, yeah. and then you come back for Little Women. And it's like, what? Well, she can literally do no wrong in my book. You know, I just think she's so talented and just just amazing at everything she does. I just firmly believe. I'm never watching it thinking she's acting. It's it's a real treat to watch you know? the choices she makes. Mm. Yeah. So that's where I'm going to put it. I'm going to put Saoirse Ronan for Little I, Women. I respect it. Yep. Right. That's your number two. I I actually think that me and David J. Foley may have a number one. In common. Uh, I don't know. Let's see. Okay. Is it an actress? It is. Oh, my God. Is it an actress that was named earlier in the show? Oh, <laughs> jeez. It might be. And you might be able to find her on Hulu right now. Okay. It is. So my number one is my, you know, number one interview from last year. And that's uh, Ashling Franciosi uh, in The Nightingale. Jennifer Kent's amazing movie. Challenging, emotionally exhausting, yet a beautiful period piece set in 1825 Tasmania. Uh, This Irish-Italian actress was a discovery for me, and she blew me away, broke my heart uh, last year with this incredibly brave performance. I I don't know how she got through with it. She talked about how she got through with it in my interview, but still, you you watch it. I I still have only watched it maybe one and a half times, um, and... You'll understand the half once you watch the movie. Um, so she plays Claire Carroll, a young convict uh, seeking rev- revenge for a horrific act of violence committed against her and her family. Uh, obviously, the less I say about uh, the film, uh, which is, again, available on Hulu, the better. Uh, but Franciosi, she takes on a challenging role and winds up delivering an uncompromisingly raw and real performance Unlike anything I saw last year, it's it's it burns in my brain. Uh, I'll never forget it. I had it as number one, and what happened was when you asked that earlier question you didn't to David, it, did you? No, I'm saying it was my number one. Okay. I, it is my number okay, one. Okay, good. But good. I'm saying I, I had it here, and when Matt asked you that question yeah, yeah, yeah. about the interview, like, and you oh. brought it up, I thought, 
oh, I wonder if David's going to have hit number one. I thought I was going to stump the room, but then when you said that, I'm like, okay, me and David are probably going to have the same number one. There you go. Nice. I mean, listen, guys, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dance around the bush on this one. My number one's Joaquin Phoenix, right? I think we all saw that coming. The Joker, it's not because it's a comic book property. I'm I'm really trying to separate myself from that. Um, on this particular picture. It's really that performance. When when he's on the screen for the first five seconds of the movie doing that laugh where you can tell his character is exhausted and doesn't want to be laughing. In fact, he wants he's just almost to the point of tears. He's so exhausted from this laugh he can't stop doing. You're like, oh, this is this is gonna really be something we haven't seen before. And boy is it. I, I mean, he goes through the total gamut of of psychosis in this movie. Have we seen stuff kind of like this before with like a taxi driver and, uh, you know, King of comedy. Yeah. But I don't think either of those De Niro movies were acted quite as well, but maybe those characters weren't quite as challenging as the Joker. I don't know, but this is definitely my favorite performance of the year. Hands down. It was just blew me away. My number one, like I said, is how how did you say your first name? I was saying Ashling. Ashling. Okay. Ashley. Ashling. With, yeah, a, with a G, sort of. Ashling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was tremendous. Yeah. Completely. I mean, such a brave performance. And, I mean, these unspeakable things that mm. happen in her life. And she was on hand at the music box, as right. you were saying. And she did this Q&A afterwards. It's one of those performances that when you see it, you're just like, oh, my God. If I saw this person... I would just want to hug her mm-hmm. and just wonder how she got through life. And then she comes up on stage, and she's so yeah. nice answering all these questions. And I'm like, well, It's just what? an actor, right? Right. It's... I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. I can't believe you're even physically walking and smiling that because it, she literally was in my head it, as the, the best performance of the year. Is that somewhat reassuring when you see a movie that's so... Um, dark and... Yeah, or, or, you know, kind of... Uh, yeah, dark, I suppose, makes you emotionally down... And then you see the actor come out on stage for a Q&A. It is a little jarring because you just finished watching a movie like that. And then you see her, oh, let's talk about this movie. I mean, what do you say? You know, it's like, uh, are you okay? Yeah, you that's know, what that's you want exactly. to say. I mean, this was filmed like two years ago right. for her. And you're like, I'm fine. You know? I, I'm so disappointed <laughs> that she's not in a words talk. I, when, when I saw the movie at the music box, I said, well, here's the, here's the front runner for the Oscar. I, but it didn't catch the... The, is it the subject matter? It's the subject matter. I don't think enough people saw it. Uh, I it, it was in theaters, but you know, it's hard. It's a hard sell. Um, I think maybe fans of the Babadook were maybe looking for something similar to the Babadook because that's the movie that Jennifer Kent last mm-hmm. directed. But it's there are horrors in this movie, but it's not a horror movie, right? And I don't want to just relegate it to a rape revenge movie. Because it's so much more than that. I mean, we're not even talking about the the character that she hooks up with in her journey. I mean, he's amazing too. I mm-hmm. mean, it's such a powerful story. It's challenging. Yes, I mean, I, I talked to a coworker about this just today. It's so funny. Um, it's challenging to watch, and and but it's so worth watching, and and because it's so rare to see a movie like this. And you know, you know, Matt, you should watch it. Just. Don't watch it with your wife or anything like that. You know? <laughs> okay. I, know I, have, I have questions for, for during the break. I'll okay. ask you off All right, cool. All right. Cool. Honorable mentions. Oh, wow. Florence Pugh. We mentioned that. That was sure, mine. Sure. Damn it. You took my sure. honorable mention. You, you could go for actually Midsum- uh, Midsummer, Midsummer or oh, sure, sure. Little Woman. Um, 
All right, Matthew Reese, that's how I say his name, Rice Reese, mm. who is the actually the lead in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Oh, okay. That was a good performance. Really, really strong performance. I Also, the two leads, uh, the actresses in A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, they're amazing. Absolutely yeah, amazing. And agreed. it all hinges on their performance. If, Fantastic. If the, the whole movie is their two performances. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Uh, Charlize Theron in Bombshell. Okay. Loved it. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet either. Yeah. And then I just wrote the whole cast of Marriage Story because <laughs> they're all phenomenal. And I'm talking even just Alan Alda. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody. Uh, Daniel Craig in Knives Out. Good. Good stuff. What, what a performance. And that performance is, has garnered a sequel. They are officially making Ryan Johnson a signed yeah. on to bring us another story from the world of Benoit Blanc. It'll be interesting to see where they go with that. It will. Um, I... You know, this is going to seem like an odd choice, but um, I didn't really prepare a whole lot of, you know, honorables. runner-ups or honorables or whatever. I mean, uh, I, you know, we, I, I think Leonardo was great in Once Upon a Time in sure. Hollywood. I think uh, Brad Pitt was really good in Ad Astra. <laughs> um, I, the movie that, <laughs> the performance that made me cry three times, and just because I'm, uh, you know, sentimental and nostalgia was... Uh, Keanu Reeves in Toy Story. Th- no, four. Chewbacca's performance in Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, me too. You, I'm I, cried. You, I cried. I cried, dude. Cried. I, you know, I'm sure we could talk spoilers now because everybody's seen it. But <laughs> I cried when I thought he died. I cried when he uh, cried about Leia's death. I cried about when he got uh, Han's medal. I was just a mess, you know. Mm-hmm. I, so. Yeah, it's another name I can't pronounce, but I think he's a, he's a, he's a does a great job in Chewbacca. I like that Chewbacca ends this uh, yeah. segment. Mm. How appropriate! I don't I don't have a Chewbacca. You don't. Yeah, no, no, no. No. Not even a lumpy. Wow! <laughs> there you <laughs> go. All right, Jawhead. Still to come, Matt K is taking David Falian in bad movie trivia. Oh boy! Plus a cinema war, looking at the better Nick Cage movie from two thousand. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go Curtis to the Hansen, who directed 1997's L.A. Confidential, followed it up in 2000 with Wonder Boys, starring Michael Douglas, Tobey Maguire, and our theme of the month, Robert Downey Jr. The story goes, Robert Downey Jr. was on probation during the winter of 1999 when Hansen considered him for the role. Hansen was cautious because of the actor's drug history at the time and concerned because it would be a tough film shoot in Pittsburgh and in the winter. Downey Jr. flew to Pittsburgh and had a long dinner conversation with Hansen where they addressed his problems. The actor demonstrated a commitment to the project and Hansen hired him. Reportedly, Downey Jr. acted professionally for the entire four-and-a-half-month shoot, but after it ended, he returned to Los Angeles and violated his parole. This hilarious clip takes place in a bar when Tobey Maguire is passed out while Robert Downey Jr. and Michael Douglas discuss how talented he is. This is Wonder Boys. Is that just beer? Primarily. Although I gather the two of you stays a little raid on the Crabtree Pharmacopoeia. So where is everybody? Well, Sarah and Walter declined. I guess they just want to go home and curl up on the couch with Poe. Jesus, he's out. He has a book. 
I know. Started in fall semester. Finished it winter break. So is he any good? No, not yet he is. Well, I'm gonna read it anyway. Oh, Krabs, come on, will you? He's one of my students, for Christ's sakes. Huh? Besides, I'm not sure if he's, uh... He is, I'm sure. Take my word for it, I see myself in him. Oh, I'm sure you do. But it's a little more complicated than that. Besides, uh, he's a little scattered right now. He almost did something really stupid tonight. I don't think he needs sexual confusion to mix up the stew a little on more. On the contrary, I think it might be just a ticket. Double dickle on the rocks. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy stars. And we are back on Cinema Jaw hanging out with David J. Fowley from keepingitreal.com. Again, for the Jawheads that want to follow you online, read your reviews. Also, check out your artwork. Where's the best place to do these two things? Uh, check me out on Instagram, David J. Fowley, F O W L I E. Uh, my reviews, keeping it real, keeping dash it dash real, R E E L dot com. All right, Matt, before we get to trivia and before we play some Cinema War, we did throw a few items into the fish tank, the jaw box, whatever. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment! It's fish! Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a second message. That means Luca Brassi sleeps with the fishes. We're gonna need a bigger boat. Alright guys, the first question you asked was whether or not Loose was on streaming. It is actually available for streaming on Amazon Prime, YouTube, Google Play, and Vudu. And the second question you asked was how old the actress Taylor Russell is, and she is 25. 25? Yeah. I would have thought young, younger, young woman. to be honest. Looking forward to what else she does. Oh, man. That's awesome. Matt, it brings us to an old segment called Cinema War. Cinema War works like this. Me and Matt, we're fighting on a topic. Our guest... David J. Fowley is playing judge, jury, and executioner. He tells the Jawheads who he thinks won the Cinema War. As we mentioned, the Jawhead's name was Emmett Spangler, gave us this machine, mm. and it spit out a topic on Nick Cage. And what a topic it is, Ryan. Yes. A reminder here, the topic is this. What is the better film Nick Cage made in the year 2000? Family Man, he had a great or year. Gone in 60 Seconds. I'm fighting for Family Man. I got Gone in 60 Seconds. Let's let the cinema war begin here, Matt Kay. All right, Ryan, let's make one thing clear right off the bat. Both of these films are crap, <laughs> but at least Gone in 60 Seconds has a young Angelina Jolie in it, and a blonde, late 90s Angie is totally worth sitting through any movie for. Gone in 60 Seconds, <laughs> really? Nick Cage looks so stupid when he would point his two fingers to the sky oh, and then great. say, let's ride. Awful. That's the best Awful. part of the movie. You just oh. did it. Really? Because honestly, I think I would watch the trailer again and again just to see that. Let's ride. Okay, Family Man, Rye. 
really? I had to look this one up to even remember it because I had washed my brain of it. We all remember Gone in 60 Seconds, for better or for worse. It was even mildly decent, but nobody remembers Family Man. Well, when you look at the year 2000, it was a pivotal year for Nick Cage. He had the potential to make wholesome family entertainment, such as the case with Family Man. While not his best, it was still a sweet spot for Nick Cage, and he could have explored that more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about that. Listen, this comes down to crappy body swap meets It's a Wonderful Life with Don Cheadle, rom-com, versus Giovanni Ribisi and blonde Angelina Jolie car-stealing action crime movie, rom-com or crime action. I'll take crime and do the time. Family Man cast had Nick Cage, Tia Leone, Don Cheadle, Jeremy Piven, and Kate Walsh. Simply put, this was a time when Nick Cage could be in films with an actual ensemble. Today, we see Nick Cage as the main star in a direct-to-video release. Mandy, once again, I feel the need to state that I see Malcolm McDowell with his eyes clamped open being forced to watch either one of these turds, but the less stinky pile is gone in 60 seconds, if for no other reason than Jerry Bruckheimer completists need it in their collection. No. You you look at ratings on this thing. Family Man Don't tell me the numbers. No, I'm not. But Gone in 60 Seconds, most people hated. Seeing Nick Cage warm up to having a wife and two kids was actually entertaining. To your grandma. Much more entertaining than seeing him say, let's ride. (laughs) All right, David J. Fowley. Let's ride. (laughs) We're button heads here on the jaw, on the war. What did you think of this in war? Uh, it was a it was a good and valiant effort on both sides of the war. Uh, it's funny enough. I haven't I haven't seen all of I've seen parts of both of these movies, so I haven't seen all of these movies in their entirety. But if I had to go back twenty and, years and sit through this a, one of these movies, it would probably have to be gone in sixty seconds. Yes. Ah! I mean, after all, Family Man is directed by Brat Brett Ratner. <laughs> And I don't know what happened to Dominic Senna, but, uh, you know, this, this, Gone in 60 Seconds, not only Angelina Jolie, but Robert Duvall. I mean, I always love seeing, right, what, seeing, what, seeing what he does in these movies. And, you know, I, th- I think... Uh, he was the kingpin, right? That was kind yeah, of giving yeah, them their yeah, order, orders? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, Scott Kahn, Will Patton, Delroy Lindo, Timothy Oliphant, uh, Christopher L. Eccleston, uh, Vinnie Jones. Uh, I mean, it's it's it's... Giovanni Ribisi. Yeah, even if it's trash, it sounds like great trash. And uh, Family Man, you know, I like Taylioni and, you know, and all that, but uh, there's something. If if I want sad sack drama, Nick Cage, I'll go with Weatherman over Family Man. There you go. But, there you go. Matt, you win the first cinema war of the year. Of the year. Congrats. Give wow. 20 seconds. You going to Disneyland? On whatever you want. What do you got, Matt Cage? Well, I just want to say Happy New Year to, to the Jawheads out there. Let's... Let's have a fantastic year in film. And if you need a Nicholas a Nicholas Cage recommendation, uh, for some reason you missed Mandy, mm. I highly recommend yes. you go back and check that one out. It's uh, it's an unusual movie to say the least. <laughs> and there you go. Mm. That's my twenty, right? All right, Matt. It's trivia time. All right, Jawheads. It's time once again for cinema trivia where one lucky contestant gets to take on Matt Day in the hot seat. Starring your host, 
In honor of Bad Boys for Life, we are playing bad movie trivia. Think of movies with bad in the title. Boy, it, after that theme song, the trivia itself seems like an anticlimax, man. <laughs> That's it, crazy. It works like this. David, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first. Let Matt K go first. There are steals, and if you get hung up on any questions, you get one trip into the fish tank for Pick Me Up Pat. He has clues to every question. Sounds good. Let's go. You want question one? Yeah, I'll take it. They do start off easy. Question number one to David J. Foley in Bad Movie Trivia. David, in 2007, Jonah Hill and this actor who played his best friend in the movie Superbad named the actor. Jonah Hill and who? Christopher Mintz-Plass? No, not looking for McLovin. Oh, no. Uh... I should have phrased it better. His his best friend in the movie. Oh, okay, good. Not McLovin. Was it uh, Eisenberg? Jesse Eisenberg? Uh, Incorrect to start it off. Michael Sarah. Ah, yes. I get those two confused. I do too. See? Wow. I do too. Yeah. Wow. A rare steal on the first That's question. Right. I'll give it to him. One to nothing, Matt K. Matt, question two is over to you. These are both supposed to be very easy. Uh, who played William T. Stokes, a.k.a. The Bad Santa? In 2003's Bad Santa. Speaking of Angelina Jolie, mm-hmm. her honey bunny, probably uh, from the 90s, Billy Bob Thornton. Two to nothing, Matt K. Wow. Question three over to David Foley. David, in 2016, Mila Kunis, Kristen Bell, Christina Applegate, and Jada Pinkett Smith starred in this comedy. Is it uh, Bad Moms? David is on the board. This is a bit of a trope in Hollywood now. Just put bad in front of something. They have a sequel, Bad Mom Christmas or something mm-hmm. like that. They did indeed. <laughs> it is two to one, Matt K, and question four is over to him. Matt, Bad News Bears is Ooh. a classic. Yes. <laughs> Came out in 1976. Mm-hmm. Which actor played the manager, Morris Buttermaker? Um, man, I haven't had to, Walter Matthau. Mm. Three to one, Matt K. Question Five over to David J. Folly. David, Bad Times at the El Royale had a large cast. Who played the priest, Father Daniels, in the movie? Jeff Bridges. We also would have accepted the dude. Okay, all right. All right. It is three to two. Good ball game brewing here. Question six over to Matt K. Matt, Nick Cage, who made a remake of Bad Lieutenant. But what actor played the title role in the 1992 classic? Harvey Keitel. Wow, wow he's good. He likes bad movies. Yeah, four to two. Two questions left. It's we true. need both these. Uh, David, question seven is over to you. Jason Bateman has directed two movies in which he has also starred. One is The Family Fang, and the other is this 2013 comedy. Name it. Ah... Uh. I need a lifeline here. You do need a lifeline. Into the fish tank we go. Producer Pat, what was the name of that Jason Bateman-directed film? Question seven. All right. Your clue for this one is awful vowels and consonants. Hmm. Playing bad movie trivia, and the clue is awful vowels 
and consonants. I think it was consonants, but bad words. Wow. All right. You, you hit him over the head with a clue. Oh, no, right. Just let the clue be the clue. Wow. I'm getting old. You know, you got to help me out. <laughs> I'm an old man. That's right. It sits like this. Dang, damn it. It's four to three. Wow. Last question of the game is to you Matt. You still K. got plenty of pepper in your yeah, salt over okay, there. All right. Matt, you can win on a walk off or give a chance to David to tie okay. it up. Be generous in your first guest of the new year. Come on. That's true. I'm not, I actually thought I was behind. So, <laughs> Matt, here you go. Yeah. I'm Chris, not used to this. Chris Rock has made one movie with Sir Anthony Hopkins. It's an action comedy directed by Joel Schumacher, and it came out in 2002. Name the movie. I know it's not Bad Boys, um, but it's probably Bad Something. (laughs) I'm going to uh, ask for a pick-me-up, Pat. Wow, pick-me-up, Pat. Uh, Question number eight. Pat... What was the name of this Chris Rock, Anthony Hopkins film? Your clue for this question is B.C. not talking about the year. B.C. Yeah. But yeah. not and talking B- about the B- year. B probably stands for bad. <laughs> bad, <laughs> bad. Chris Rock. Read, read, read the question one last time. Oh one last gosh, time. Look at this guy. I mean, hey, he's sweating and struggling. Yeah. One movie with Anthony Hopkins. Uh-huh. It's an action comedy. Action comedy. Directed by Joel Schumacher. That doesn't help me. And it came out in 2002. Two, 2002. Bad something. Bad C. Bad cops. Bad cops. Incorrect. David, you got a chance Fowley for a steal. Knows this. He knows it. You got a it. chance for a steal and to tie the game. It's also a great rock band. Bad company. Debatable on the rock band. (laughs) (laughs) He ties it up at the end. This is fantastic. It does come down to a jawbreaker. Oh, boy. And the jawbreaker is to David J. Fowley. Better movie, Bad Grandpa or Bad Santa? Bad Santa all the way. Bad Grandpa. Unbelievable. Who said that? Are you kidding me? (laughs) It's a joke. It's a joke. All right, right, right. here we go. Just like Aubrey Plaza. (laughs) I don't (laughs) even think I ever saw Bad Grandpa. (laughs) But it's real, real job, experience. Real jawbreaker is this age of Chris Rock closest to oh. Matt. You got to guess. Fifty-four. Fifty-four. Lock him in at fifty-four, David. Okay. You got to guess. I usually do my math out loud, but I didn't want to give David here an advantage. I'm gonna go with fifty-two. He's fifty-four years old. <laughs> Shut up! I swear to God. Get out of here! <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm good at this it. age thing. I don't Matt know why. I was I gonna, Could I have also guessed 54? Because I was right there. I was just. I, I missed the career calling as a carny. Wow. I should have been like sitting there guessing everyone's age. Well, I guess you're getting a job at Great America this Can summer. Can I get a handshake yeah. here between the there you combatants? Go. Very, wow. Very this very is good. beautiful. What a moment. Yes. What a See, moment. you thought you were going to lose. Brings I, us yeah. to the end of the first jaw of 2020. Oh, that's sad. First and it? foremost, we got to thank our guest, David Folly. Thanks for coming back on Cinema Jaw. It's great to be back. Didn't even mention we saw underwater earlier before screening. <laughs> well, gee, movie. I wonder why. <laughs> glub, 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 glub. <laughs> well, maybe we'll bring it up at some point later on in the year. <laughs> yeah, probably. A January reflection. Yes. <laughs> we also got to thank our producer, producer Pat. Thanks, buddy. 
Yeah, guys, this was a great time, and it was an awesome first episode of the year. Happy New Year. We also got to thank our sponsors. Yes, thanks to Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op, who help us get great sponsors like them. If you want to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so is by leaving us a review. And please do click the subscribe button while you're at it. It helps us out. Until next week, I'm Ryan, the movie guy. I'm Matt Kay, and and keep on jawing about the movies. movies.